Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, my name is Carson. I am with Troy, and I am with M.L. Spencer. She is a fantasy author, and I will let her tell a little bit about herself and also what she writes. Hi, how are you doing, Carson? I'm well. Excellent. Okay, so I'm M.L. Spencer, and I write epic fantasy. Um, I've been writing fantasies for, gosh, probably since about I was old enough to pick up a pencil. <laughs> Recently, I guess my I've started self-publishing since, well, 2011, I think I put out my first book. It just kind of sat there on the Amazon shelf so for quite a while before anybody actually read it. <laughs> so uh, you can actually say I've probably been self-publishing successfully since about 2016. So my latest book is Dragon Mage. <laughs> I, I interviewed Andy Pelequin. He had high praises for dry, Dragon Mage. Oh, he did. I love Andy. Andy's awesome. Yeah, tell us about that book. It's basically just a standard tropey fantasy book, but with a couple twists. And one of the big twists is that the main character is on the autism spectrum. And um, I think that's probably one of the things that Andy liked about it. There's some other kind of good twists, too, that kind of like makes it kind of its own little beast, even though it's got lots of things that like lots of other fantasy novels have, like dragons. And, you know, it's kind of got a chosen one theme, you know, coming of age. Um, But it, it does it kind of in its own little way. Nice. And you have two other series? Um, yeah, I have Rune War Saga. Um, which is a five book series. And then I have another one called The Chaos Cycle. Nice. Um, nice. Those are more grimdark, uh-huh. whereas uh-huh. Dragon Mage is more just like straight up high fantasy or epic fantasy. Okay. So what was this, um, the genesis of Dragon Mage? Yeah, that, that kind of is a long story, but basically I came up with the idea for a split world first. Um, Basically in Dragon Mage, the world above is separated from the world below. And I started building that for a few years, actually, before I actually had a character to put into it. I came up with the idea of a protagonist who is on the autism spectrum because I'm on the autism spectrum. And um, I just wanted to read somebody like me instead of your classic, you know, fantasy protagonist, I guess. And and what are the Ren Wars about? Um, Red Wars is, um, it's grimdark. It's got a main character that is an anti-hero. It's extremely morally gray. And so you never really know who the bad guys are, the good guys are. Um, It's, it's kind of just showing a war from different perspectives, different sides. And is that a complete series? Yeah, that's a complete series. And the chaos cycle, you're still right. And you have two in that, right? Yeah, yeah, I've got two. Um, The third one's coming out. Eventually, um, I got a little <laughs> sidetracked writing Dragon Mage. Um, Dragon Mage was supposed to be a standalone, but um, a lot of people wanted to see more of it. So I ended up unexpectedly writing <laughs> more in that series. Oh, nice. So what is your typical day for ML Spencer look like? Um, well, I wake up really early, usually around four o'clock in the morning. 
and that's when I'd get like all my writing done because I'm a school teacher. I teach oh, high yeah. school and right now I'm doing that through distance learning. Um, but normally I actually have to go into work. And so I try to get my writing for the day kind of done before I have to go to work. So that gives me about three or so hours in the morning just to, you know, I try to do a chapter a day is what I like to do. Okay. I was going to ask you what your goals were a day. Yeah. <laughs> so my goals are to finish my chapter a day. Unfortunately, I have not done that today. I got a little sidetracked. So actually when I get off of here, it's yeah. Go back to writing. Okay. So, um, being an author, I think people have a romanticized idea of it. But I love talking to people like you because you have to have a real passion to be able to get up at four o'clock in the morning and write. Yeah, I guess that does take a lot of passion. Um, I just am more productive at four o'clock in the morning. You know, um, the mind works better. Things just kind of flow easier. I find that if I try to write, usually in the afternoon, it's like pulling teeth and everything just comes really difficult. So um, yeah, I definitely have a passion for it. It's it's usually hard for me not to write, if that makes sense. It's all I ever really want to do. So I guess that's, you know, I don't really look at it as a job or a chore, but I guess more of a need. Perfect. When did you decide to write fantasy? Like, you said when you picked up a pencil, but like what inspired you to write fantasy? Well, like I said, I mean, just all my life I was writing like little fantasy things, um, probably because that's all I ever read. I have really young memories of myself being probably third grade reading fantasy novels. Like I think one of the first ones I ever read was Thomas Covenant. Oh, really? Um, In third grade? Yeah third grade <laughs> and um that's really all i ever read and so that's all i ever really wrote if that makes sense are you still i mean sounds like you write you have a family you have a job are you still able to read um much <laughs> yeah I, I read a lot right now i'm i'm in the middle of a really good book by one of my favorite authors davis ashura so um yeah i do get to read occasionally it's it i i have to kind of read when I have an opportunity, you know, mm. it's not like I just sit down and spend like, okay, I'm going to read for two hours tonight. I just, I don't have that luxury. So it's more like, okay, I'm at the doctor's office. What about the phone? <laughs> Let's see if I can get a couple chapters in, you know, who are some of the authors that have inspired you? Oh goodness. There's so many, I think the big ones are probably Robert Jordan. He's huge for me. Raymond Feist and probably C.S. Friedman. You know, those are probably my like really big inspirations right there. Those are fantastic authors. And they have a, a world that just sucks you in too. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things I think I, huge for me is I need, yeah, that kind of immersive world, you know, like Erickson. <laughs> he has a great, wonderful, wonderful world. So he's definitely, you know, a wonderful author too. What were some of the, like, you read Thomas Covenant. Do you remember, like, some of the yeah. movies that you watched at a young age that inspired you? Oh, gosh. Um, well, you know, back in the 80s, we had um, a lot of them, I guess. Um, there was, like, Labyrinth, The Last Unicorn, Willow. I love Willow. Um, yeah, Willow was great. Um, we had, like, all of the... I guess the animated Lord of the Rings, you know, <laughs> little cartoon things. Those were amazing, by the way. They are. Um, 
they, they really were. I used to like just wait up like late at night for them to come on like once a year or whenever they actually put them out. Gosh, Ladyhawk. I mean, <laughs> obviously fantasy wasn't like a huge going concern for movies in the 80s. They just didn't really have the um, the special effects to really pull it off really too well. So, you know, I guess we, 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 we took what we had and, you know, what we had was actually pretty good for the time. Looking back on it now, uh, things like Willow were a little, hmm. <laughs> but it was great at the time. It was even like Ladyhawk. I still love and, and Willow labyrinth, stuff like that. I mean, it was, it was, you didn't know any better and, and not only that they didn't have the computer stuff that they do now. So a lot of it was more about the story than the, than the action and all the, computer cgi stuff that they can do now this is true like that moment in ladyhawk when um navarre is reaching for um isabel and she turns into a hawk like Mm -hmm. touching you know and that that moment where her fingers are kind of um turning into feathers like yes that's that's amazing stuff that they were able to do back then that's true that's true and you wouldn't actually see that probably nowadays because they would just you know cgi it yeah and so you wouldn't really have that like that moment, right? So um, when you're when you're starting a, a story, how do you plan that out? Are you a do you plot it? Do you just sit down and whatever comes out comes out, or are you kind of in between? <laughs> I plot. I plot like really huge. For instance, the outline for Dragon Mage was I think about sixty eight pages long or something. I hate going into something and not really knowing where it's going to go mm-hmm. because I've been really bitten in the butt by that before, and I I hate going back and having to rewrite like twenty thousand words. Another thing is is I'm kind of a firm believer in structure, uh-huh. where you know certain things just kind of need to happen at, at certain places in the story. I mean, it's just it's good storytelling. And so by plotting that out a little bit, I can actually like kind of work that in and just work in, you know, various things that I really want to be there. Uh, you know, like, oh, I need foreshadowing here. This is going to kind of come up here and just get everything tightened. I don't, I honestly don't know how people who pants do it. I really don't know. Um, they have some type of a magical gift that I don't have. Do you just do a basic outline? As I mean, 68 pages, that's not basic, but like, do you go into kind of detail in each chapter and be like, okay, I need to sit, hit certain beats as I'm telling this? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I do. I do go into, you know, pretty big detail in each chapter. It's not like I'm trying to like write formula fiction, you know, I'm, I'm not, but what I am doing is, you know, for instance, I, I know exactly like, okay, we're at the 25% mark. This is the time where, you know, such and such kind of really needs to happen. So I do um, within the chapter. I just, I really, really, really do kind of like break it down, look at beats. I think it's kind of extensive. <laughs> do you use any plotting um, techniques like the, I don't know, Dan Harmon's story circle or like Pixar has like a 30 point thing or, you know, like the hero's journey type? I, I, I made my own. Did you? Yeah, I actually made my own based upon the hero's journey. So I literally like read Campbell. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of use that to kind of create my own like little structural grid, which I try to, you know, I kind of lay out my whole story on that, you know, just kind of to start. But then I'd like take it from there and just kind of go with it. So it's like laying out the skeleton and you fill in the the meat and the skin and everything else. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Um, You said you released your first book in 2011, but... Was it 2016 where you kind of got serious? 
Yeah. Well, my first book, I, I wrote it. Well, it's actually not my first book, but the first one that's actually published and alive today that I'm proud to actually say that I wrote and <laughs> not embarrassed. Um, yeah, that one I wrote back in 2003, I think it was 2002, 2003. I couldn't get a, any agent to like bite. It was, it was huge. Nobody wanted it. Uh-huh. So I threw that up on Amazon in 2011 and I had no idea how to sell books then, which is unfortunate. If I had actually known how to sell a book, I, um, that was really the time to kind of start becoming an independent author was kind of back then, but I didn't actually get a clue until 2016. I didn't have any social media at all. I didn't even believe in social media. And it wasn't until 2016 that I actually kind of started getting serious about, you know, I'm going to take, you know, I want to try this author thing. I want to actually um, put myself out there and go for it. And that's when I started like buying books that told me you need a writing platform. I'm like, what's that? (laughs) Oh, I need a website. Oh, I need a Facebook account. Oh, I need a Twitter. And that's when I just actually started figuring out how to work the self-publishing industry and how to start putting myself out there and later, you know, how to advertise and eventually how to sell a book was quite a journey. Yeah. Sounds like it. Um, How have you maintained, you know, staying up on marketing? Cause I know that changes very, very quickly on Amazon. Yeah, it does. Um, Amazon is, it's an interesting beast. I don't always successfully stay up on marketing. Amazon changes rapidly. And, you know, I I try to adapt and react. Sometimes I, it takes me a little while to get my feedback under me, but, you know, eventually I do. Um, Eventually, you know, some things change and are never the way they were before. And, you know, you just kind of have to get back up on that horse and keep on writing it and hope it doesn't run off in a completely terrible direction, which sometimes it does. (laughs) I tend my ads like a garden, you know, every morning I get up and I, I work ads as much as I write. Um, so I'm constantly like just teasing, toying with them, doing split testing, um, all kinds of stuff, just kind of figure out what's going to work for me today. Oh, really? So it's a daily thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, what has been like the biggest challenges being this self-published author? Probably just, yeah, keep keeping up with all the changes. It's a lot of time. It really is. Um, if you are going to be successful with, you know, the marketing, you it's so much social media. It's so much keeping up with the ads, you know, it's a lot. And it's, so I think that the huge part of it is probably just even time management. I had to, you know, get myself on some time management software to even be able to get enough hours in the day to do everything that I needed to do. So that was, that's huge. So being a school teacher, uh, what do you teach? I teach biology and health science. Well, biomedical science, I should say. So my, I come from a family of teachers, my grandma, my dad, my mom, stepdad, sister-in-law, like, and they have to do like a lot of extra time after school. Um, How do you balance that? Um, Well, you know, most of what I do for writing is again, before school in the morning. So I, if I have to actually wrap anything up from my school, you know, that's, that's after school. So I guess I kind of had that little divide going on there. You just have to make a lesson plan beforehand to know what you're doing the day for the next day. Well, I think it also kind of helps, you know, I've been teaching now for pretty much 20 years. So, you know, lesson plans, you know, they they come come kind of fast, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, 
it's to the point where, okay, I, I know what's kind of going to work, what's kind of not going to work. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's there. Nice. So outside of movies and books, are, you know, what are some of your geeky hobbies that you used to do or maybe that you still do? Sometimes I even still have time for some of them. I love MMORPGs. So like currently I'm on Elder Scrolls. Um, I don't get a lot of time for it, but I try to put in like maybe a couple hours a week on it. Other than that, I really, I've given up most of my geeky hobbies. I mean, I used to do everything from windsurfing to playing guitar, piano, painting, you name it. Um, Just don't really have time for any of that anymore. That's too bad. (laughs) But I know it is. Such is life, I guess. Yes, it is. We kind of have to pick, like, I guess what we want to do. And hey, if you're going to be a fantasy author and a teacher and everything, there's not a lot of time for windsurfing in there, unfortunately. Do you have a, a notebook of ideas that you want to write? Nope. No? You have everything out there? <laughs> no, I do not. Um, believe it or not, um, ideas don't just drop on me like every day. They really don't. I know that there's a lot of authors that do. They just have like books in their mind that they wish they had time in their life to write. I get a fantastic like novel length idea probably once every you know couple of years, honestly. Fortunately, I can take those novel length ideas and make them into series. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So I don't need to have one more than every couple of years. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be in this business. But I guess I'd rather have like one really good idea every two years than, you know, mediocre ideas all the time. So that works. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. Even then, though, you have to plot out and still generate ideas to make the story go. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Once I kind of got a story, though, things usually just kind of fall into place pretty easily. Um, sometimes they don't, and that's when I get a little frustrated. Um, my last novel, the one I'm currently working on, that took me a couple months, a couple solid months just to be able to outline it because the ideas weren't coming. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because Dragon Mage, I had intended on making it a standalone. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that next great novel length idea hadn't hit me yet. And so I had to sit there and really kind of, okay, what are we going to do? Hmm, I don't know. And so I did a lot of driving. I did a lot of walking. I did a lot of just sitting there listening to music, trying to get ideas to fall on me. And eventually I got some, but it took a while. How did you determine like, okay, this is a good idea. This is a bad idea. What to keep and what to throw out. That's kind of interesting. Sometimes when I think I get good ideas, they're not good. And the only way I can really tell that is when I kind of start getting ready to implement them, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't, the next idea doesn't come, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It's like a, it's like um, walking down a hallway and all of a sudden there's a closed door at the end of that hallway. You know, I guess the first thing I have to ask myself is why is there a closed door? And usually it's because I'm walking down the wrong hallway. (laughs) I went off in the wrong direction. That's not the way I should go. I need to go find another idea. Is that going back to your back to driving and walking and trying to get that idea again? There you go. <laughs> then I have to get on a different freeway. <laughs> Literally. So um, being a self-published author, you're in control of everything, the cover art, editing, you know, the writing and the marketing. Writing for some could be the easiest thing. And, you know, what you said earlier, it's it's hard not to write. Does the editing and the... Well, I guess you wouldn't do your own covers. Maybe maybe you do. Do you do your own covers? No. Oh. Um, 
I used to do my own typography. Um, I do my own interior interior formatting. I do do that. Um, and I do my own maps nowadays. Nice. But other than that, I, uh, I, I leave the cover up to better people. Well, um, with the editing, how do you find a good editor? How did you find a good editor? Usually word of mouth. Uh, my current editor, gosh, I, she's just pretty much everywhere. A lot of people use her. Um, a lot of people recommended her. I had never worked with her before Dragon Mage. Oh, really? And yeah, so what I did was I sent her like, I think the first chapter. Uh -huh. And just so she can get an idea of what I write and I can get an idea of her editing. And we found ourselves very compatible. Nice. So I hired her for the rest of the book. Yeah. But yeah, I, I found her through word, word of mouth and just, you know, writing into her on Facebook and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's writing is kind of a small community, honestly. That's what I found. I've interviewed, I've interviewed, I think you're my ninth interview. I think you're my sixth self-published author. Everybody that's a self-published author, they've kind of went through where they've tried to hire a, an editor and it's been, some of them have good, but a lot of them, you know, they go for the least expensive one and it hasn't been what they wanted. So they've reached out to other authors. It really sounds like there's this network, a close network of people that are trying to help each other out. Yeah, definitely. Especially in the fantasy community. I mean, pretty much anybody who puts out a fantasy book is on Facebook and we all know each other, <laughs> at least in the self-publishing community and a lot of personally published authors too. Um, and we all kind of run in the same circle and, you know, oh, hey, you know, so-and-so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, See each other at yeah. conventions and stuff. Well, not now, but. So who's your cover artist? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really actually a really nice community to be able to, you know, have all those resources there and be able to tap into all that community knowledge. It's great. How did you find your uh, cover artists? Is it through word of mouth or did you go like I, some people went to like DeviantArt or other platforms? You know, he found me. Really? Um, yeah. It's kind of weird too. Uh, yeah. I just got this like random DM on Facebook from like this guy that just like, hey, do you want cheap cover art? And I'm like, how cheap? And he was like, really cheap. I'm like, wow, that's really cheap. You must really be crappy. <laughs> He's like, come look at my page and on DeviantArt. And I looked at his page and I'm like, that's godly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely blew me away. And so I'm like, dude, you need to charge more. <laughs> and so I had him make me several covers and I just loved them to death, but I haven't had a chance to use them yet. Uh, so I kind of filed them away for later. And then I reached out to him again for Dragon Mage and um, he made this and he just completely blew me away. So I think he's charging a lot more he, <laughs> nowadays. He deserves that. I mean, Dragon Mage, <laughs> that cover is beautiful. Oh God, it is. It's absolutely gorgeous. And just, you know, he makes, everything he makes is absolutely gorgeous. So I think that now people are really starting to kind of take notice of him. I noticed um, yesterday, actually, his work for Dragon Mage was put up on Pinterest by DeviantArt. It went out to their 5 million followers yesterday. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I think that he might be ending up charging a lot more soon. Yeah. <laughs> How much input did you have on Dragon Mage? Or did you just say, I've seen your work, just go with it? Um, actually, I, I, I I did a lot. Um, I really, really am super controlling when it comes to covers and marketing and stuff. So like what I did was I went out and I looked on Amazon at a whole bunch of different novels that had audiences that I wanted to target. 
And I looked at their covers and I looked for elements that were kind of similar that I wanted to kind of echo in my own. And so I pretty much got like a, a collage of all these different covers together. And I said, okay, this is the elements I want, you know, see, and go for it. And he put them all kind of together and really <laughs> surpassed my wildest dreams. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. And I've noticed that with with market, the marketing aspect, people have said that, um, you know, if you want to be successful at self-publishing particularly, to look at Amazon and see what is selling, what covers are selling, and then kind of go from there. Not copy them, but adapt them. Yeah, Do you find that exactly. true? Exactly. I, I really think so. My, um, I guess my philosophy is covers sell books more than words. I mean, nobody's going to sit there and probably read my entire like look inside book. They're going to click on my book based on the cover, whether I like that or not, mm-hmm. you know? So the cover has to be my absolute selling piece and it really has to represent what I write and it really has to stand out and just People have to be able to look at the cover and say, that's the kind of book I want to read. Right. You know, it can't really be too ambiguous. Um, it needs to really give them a gut punch, you know, yeah, that's my kind of fantasy book. And so that's the kind of covers I usually like to go with. Yeah. Cause if you, if he would have done that without the dragon, nobody would have known that that's really a fantasy guy. You know, he, he kind of has a yeah. cape, but it, it could be anywhere, you know? Yeah. Like there's certain tropes that I just had to put in there. Like I said, yeah, it's, it's got to have a sword. You've got to be holding a sword. Yeah. You've got to have a. You've got to have that dragon. I wanted certain colors. All that kind of was really important to me, just so you know people would know exactly what kind of, you know, book they're getting into. Even the font of the dragon mage. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of like when I was growing up. Like Will of Time was coming out of that time. Um, David Farland's Rune Lords, um, even Piers Anthony, and they all had Daryl K. Sweet covers. You know, he was the artist yes! on all of them. And so, you know, that was exactly, I was like, oh, Daryl K. Sweet did this. I'll just read it. I don't care who it is. It was, you know, just a recognizable cover. Yeah, well, definitely. And you probably knew exactly kind of what to expect, you know, what was behind that cover. Right. And that's kind of the thing I was trying to do here, even like with the, um, I guess, the frame around the cover and everything. I was trying to really kind of show this is, you know, your classic kind of fantasy that if you were like a Piers Anthony fan or something like that, and McCaffrey fan, you know, this is your kind of book, Dragon's Lands, I guess. Like you said, covers do sell books and they are important. Even though everybody has, says that, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. That's not true. You have yeah. to. Actually on Amazon. I mean, when you click on Amazon, you're automatically confronted by like a wall of covers. Right. That's all people know about you unless you've got really big name recognition. Mm-hmm. So you've got to get reason to click on that cover. And well, that's the cover. <laughs> so... What would you, what advice would you give some people that are just starting out being like, okay, they come to you and say, I just need a little bit of help. How do you become a self-published author and, and make enough money to where I can kind of survive? Well, I guess my first piece of advice is, yeah, find the writing community on Facebook. You know, that, that's step one. Um, step two, don't try to sell your books to other authors, which is the biggest newbie mistake. You know, you go onto all these Facebook you know, groups and, you know, people just sitting up there, buy my book, buy my book, you know, no, you're trying to sell your book to the wrong people. You know, we're authors, we are your competition, not your audience. Um, So I would direct people toward like 
advertising, you know, Facebook ads, Amazon ads, BookBub ads. Um, you need to be able to put your book out there in front of readers. And so I think that's probably like the two biggest things that you can possibly learn how to do is market and network. That's, that's great advice. Marketing and networking is, is huge and it's ever changing. So you, yeah, I, I think the, the networking helps the marketing because somebody will know yeah. what to yeah. do. Yeah. You, you have to actually be able to talk to people and say, Hey, what's working for you? What's not working for you. And just to have that kind of engagement. Otherwise you're sitting there in your own like tiny little boat trying to, <laughs> to paddle yourself across a very big ocean when you have so many other people that can actually help you and you can pool knowledge. And yeah. Right. And I heard it like, it's, there's like 2 million authors on Amazon trying to sell books. I don't know about the fantasy part of it, but there's still a lot. Yeah, there's literally thousands of books published. Actually, I think it's like one or 2,000 books published on Amazon every day. Yeah, you got to be able to stand out some way. And and covers are a big part of that. Yeah, covers are a huge part of that. Marketing's a huge part of it. You know, obviously the market is getting saturated with people that do know how to market. It's becoming a very pay-to-play kind of place. And you've got to be savvy about your marketing. So I, I think that one of the biggest mistakes indie authors do is they don't study marketing. You have to become an expert at it. You need to study marketing just as much as you would study, you know, writing. I mean, and be really on top of your game. Otherwise, you're just going to get swept under. But on top of that, you still have to produce a good work of art. You know, you still have to write the book that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. You got to write a good book. If you don't have a good book, then well, you're just going to get a bunch of one stars and nobody's going to want to read you anyway. So I guess that is, yeah, you got to have a good product. Right. You know, so somebody can't cheat and produce a subpar product and be able to market really well and get lots of money. That's, I don't think that's sustainable. Yeah. And, you know, too, you got to understand too, what is subpar? You know, some authors can't write, but they can plot. Love them. <laughs> And, um, you know, the opposite is true, you know, so it just kind of depends on, you know, the author, some, you know, if you can have an absolute quality product and not even know it, or you can have, think you've got a great product, but it's not quite plotted out the way, you know, you would hope it would be true. And, and you're right. Subpar isn't like, it's kind of an objective type thing yeah. to where, you know, somebody might love it and somebody don't, I mean, I'm sure your Amazon rankings or ratings, excuse me. Um, I don't know if you read those or not. I haven't really looked at them, but I'm sure you got one stars and I'm sure you got five stars and people think it's the best book ever, which it, oh, definitely. it probably yeah. is. I just going over my page today and I got all these wonderful five-star reviews. Fantastic book. Fantastic book. One star. This book sucks. <laughs> How do you get over uh, that? You know, well, I think when I first started, I cried a lot. Um, <laughs> But now it's just like, you know, okay, I, I guess my book was really not for you. And, you know, I'm good with that now. Whereas it took me a while to actually get to that place, you know. And I think as a newbie, uh, you know, someone who's trying to break in, I think that'd be hard for anybody. Because anytime, I'll, I'll just speak from my experience. Um, I haven't written a book yet. Well, I've written lots of books. I haven't published a book yet. The natural me will be like, oh, I got to check the Amazon rankings. I got to check the sales. I got to check my ratings and see um, Oh, this guy did a one star. He's an idiot. You know, you know, it's something that you got to get over and not worry about. Just produce the quality of stuff that you want. 
Yeah, you, you got to get in gorilla thick skin. You know, I have a, I come from a couple places. I mean, my first place is, yeah, okay, everybody has, you know, their opinion. They have what they like, what they don't like, and they're definitely entitled to their opinion. Um, what I don't like are people who one star and then just get, you know, rip something to shreds. I despise people like that, honestly. You're a critic, great. But if somebody spent months of their life, blood, sweat, and tears, that doesn't give you the right to just be unload on them and just completely rip them apart. Um, so I really, I don't like seeing that. Right. I really don't. Criticism handled with, you know, <laughs> grace. And I really don't think anything really deserves to be a one star. Like, I don't know. That's just me. What I don't like, here's what I don't like for when people do one stars and it's the, um, like the books get damaged in shipping. And it's like, that has nothing to do with the quality of the book. It's just, you know, like, I'm always like, why did you do that? Like, just send it back and get a new one or something. But it, yeah, everybody blames the author. <laughs> I got a couple of those. Those mystify me, but, you know, at least, um, you know, I don't take those personally. So that's kind of good. Um, <laughs> I really don't like him is God forbid, you know, if it would happen like within a day or two of launch, I would probably just be in tears, you know, because I then they'll be like, no, I've only got like three reviews on this novel. One of them is one star. Oh no. But um, I think what I would really like to see is more thought paid to, to those books that kind of lack editing. If I can actually justify one stars, I would like to say it's probably because somebody did not put enough resources into a novel to make it actually sellable, you know, and trying to sell a substandard product. Um, not necessarily the writing, but the editing. Yeah. And that's like probably my personal pet peeve is crappy editing. And that's kind of what I mean by subpar. I guess I should have explained that like when you're reading something and it's bad spelling or bad um, punctuation or even, even in dialogue, it's not, it just doesn't sound right. It doesn't flow. I'm like that could, they could have done a little bit better on that. Yeah, so I guess it's like the only, you know, time I really, really would like to see, you know, one stars. But, you know, obviously, if something really doesn't work for you, hey, it doesn't work for you. And authors have to understand that. I have to understand that. Yeah. I don't know what type of movies you like, but I'm sure your favorite movie, somebody just hates it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I'm really picky when it comes to movies. Definitely. I don't know. You like Willow. <laughs> just kidding. This is true. I like Willow. <laughs> I have a coworker whose husband just made her, not made her, but like had her watch Willow the other day. And she's like, how can anybody like that? But I love Willow. It's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. You, you got to go back and you got like the eighties cheese. I mean, if you can get over the eighties cheese, then, you know, it's a great movie. <laughs> that is true. Anyway, um, I will let you go. Um, I appreciate you so much for allowing me to interview you. Um, and I hope we can do it again. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Cause you have a lot of great questions and totally easy to talk to and answer. So it was a lot of fun. Perfect. Thank you for that um, feedback. I don't know if you'll be able to go anywhere for 2021 as far as conventions or signings or anything. Do you know if you have anything on planned on the plans? I'm kind of hoping that dragon con happens, but uh, we'll see. I've got my first COVID shot. So hopefully I'll have another one in like a week or two and uh, we'll see. Fingers are crossed. When is that? Isn't that usually in August? 
Yeah, late August, late August or so. That'd be fantastic. That's a good one. Yeah, no, that's a really good one. We'll see. I hope to see people there. So tell everybody like how they can get a hold of you, what social media handles you have. Okay. Um, well, let's see here. ML Spencer author on Facebook and Twitter. And that's probably, that's probably the easiest one is just to shout out verbally. So yeah. Perfect. Thank you for listening to the Troy podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.